Hey everyone, Alex here. A little bit of housekeeping before we get into the episode. Now, during the show, you'll hear us say we're going to put out this episode on Friday. We decided to put it out now, a little bit early. That way we can come back and do an equity shot about the WeWork S1. So enjoy this. Don't worry. WeWork's coming. If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com equity. Hello, and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture-focused podcast. I'm TechCrunch reporter Kate Clark, and I'm joined by my co-host and editor-in-chief of Crunchbase News, Alex Wilhelm. How's it going, Alex? I am fantastic. This is a, a special day. This is only our second ever full company, if you will, East Coast podcast. We did one in New York back really? in like 2017, early 2018. But we are here, uh, not just because I live in the Providence area, which is about an hour away, uh, but because Dan is here. Dan, hi. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, this is fun. So you live nearby-ish to Boston. Ish, yeah, like 30 miles from here. Close 30 miles from here. So yeah. that's about four, five hours in Boston traffic? Something like that, yeah. It, it, you know, I left this morning about 2 a.m., and now it's about 11, so it's good. Yeah. He's actually shaved well, twice since he got to the studio have, today, which yeah. is an impressive feat, <laughs> I feel. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. We we, we, uh, we decided it was fun beating L.A. in sports, but then we wanted to beat them in traffic, too, so we've now done that. Wow, what's next? Pollution? I believe we're getting there, yeah. And then earthquakes. And, and, and political corruption. And we'll get to earthquakes eventually, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm from Providence technically now, so when it comes to corruption and so You forth, win. I'm, no you know. no doubt. We, we're behind. We're number one. Um, I feel like we should clarify that this is uh, Axios business editor Dan Premack, for listeners who have no idea which Dan we may have been referring to. Um, and as we were talking about before the show, you've had kind of a... I mean, an awesome career with just a few different stops. Can you give us like a little summary of those? Yeah, summary, uh, graduated college, moved to New York, uh, followed a girl to New York, needed a job, um, took one, uh, covering private debt for like about a half a minute, uh, but it was the VC boom. So yeah, so I worked at what became Reuters. Uh, Then I ended up at Fortune for about six years and joined Axios uh, before we launched. And so that'll be three years come October. So did you intend, did you want to be covering private debt or was that the job available to you? That was the job available. I had a, you know, people talk in San Francisco about how small their apartments are. We, you know, I had a tiny little Manhattan apartment. The shower stall was in the kitchen. The toilet was in a what was a closet. We had a double bed, but to get to the toilet, you had to physically get on the bed and get into the toilet. Uh, but it was extraordinarily expensive, uh, so I needed a job, and uh, and and they were paying. But you stuck with it. I mean, you I stuck with covering finance through your whole career. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. To me, it's like covering sports or covering politics. Like there are winners and there's losers, yeah. and there's a story behind why it happens, and 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 there's real life consequences. Not just the companies you cover that maybe become part of every people's everyday lives, but there's lots of money behind that, and that's pension funds and all the rest of it. Right? Have you lived? in San Francisco at all? Have you kind of been able to bypass that? Uh, I have bypassed it. Yeah, New York, but I moved here to Boston in 01, so um, it's it, which is where I'm from originally. I moved back here in 01 and have been here ever since. Yeah, so many people, it seems like, see, think you live in the Bay Area. Like, yeah. I meet people that are like, oh, do you ever come across Dan? I'm like, no, because he lives in... <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you, you have a phone and you have a computer, you can do anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked for Martha's Vineyard two weeks ago, and I don't think that changed my job at all. Like, you know, computer totally. was still there, phone was still there. Uh, yeah, I'm still arguing to do this in Providence, so I'm, I'm glad Dan has blazed the trail ahead for this kind of remote, remote work. reporting yeah. thing. Um, but let's give Dan some shout-outs because we can. Dan is, uh, he writes the Pro Rata newsletter over at Axios, which I have to admit I read every single day it comes out. GetProRata.Axios.com. Yes, even when Kia does it, I still read it. That's good. Um, Kia's fantastic. Kia, Kia is fantastic. And also, you have a podcast as well called the Pro Rata Podcast, five days a week, weekdays? Uh, four days a week, Monday through Thursdays, generally. Uh, yeah, and it comes out every day, kind of at around noon, a little bit before noon East Coast. And uh, 
equity kind of stays true to the venture capitalist theme, but you bounce around a bit more. You said it's the intersection of like business, tech, and policy? Yeah, it, yeah, business, tech, and politics is kind of where we go. It's, it's only 10 minutes kind of in keeping with the Axios kind of smart brevity theme. Right. And uh, yeah, and, and we run through pretty quick, uh, generally focusing on one thing, not necessarily the top story of the day, but, but something, to be honest, which interests me that morning. All right, cool. And uh, before we jump into the show itself, we are here at Drift in Boston, in the Back Bay neighborhood. I learned today that's a yes, whole thing. Yes, thank you, Drift. Yeah, and uh, I have a little bit of uh, stuff to read. So Drift also has a podcast. If you want to look, check it out. It's called Seeking Wisdom. comes out once a week from Drift CEO David Cancel and VP of Marketing Dave Gerhart. And it shares what they've learned from building Drift, which is now on two floors in this building and has a new staircase. So good job, Drift. Thank you Yay, for having Drift. us. We are thankful. Now, on to the show. Um, if you weren't online this week, you missed this. But if you were online, you couldn't miss it. So... Tumblr has been sold for what appears to be a bag of crisps and laundry money to... One SF apartment is my favorite uh, analogy on Twitter right now. Yeah, so about $3 million. About $3 million, yeah. Compared to what, $1.1 that Yahoo paid for it not that long ago? But what's amazing is Automatic has bought it. And Automatic is best known as the, I don't know, what we call the intellectual hub of all things WordPress. The commercial hub, I think, of all Thank things you. WordPress. That's what I yeah. Say. yeah, the commercial hub of all things WordPress. Um, I don't see the uh, the overlap super well, but I do know that there is some discussion about Squarespace being a competitor. Dan, what's up with that? Yeah, so I mean, I think the way WordPress is viewing this, you know, for those of us who are in publishing, you know, we all know WordPress because it's this big CMS kind of for almost every blog out there. But there's not really a consumer-facing side, again, unless you want to, you know, launch your own blog. I think their idea is that Tumblr becomes its consumer-facing side. And also, you mentioned Squarespace. Both these companies want to go public within a year or two years. And Squarespace has done this huge consumer marketing thing basically to boost its numbers, its user numbers. For for Automatic, this helps them do that. I mean, they're adding, what, 450 million blogs on day one. Yeah, but I mean, they're not... How many are used? I understand that. But it's a good number. I wouldn't even say how many are used. I mean, I'm just thinking about... I've used WordPress. I live on WordPress. I have my entire adult life. I've also used Tumblr. And they're not at all the same thing. Like, do you convert Tumblr accounts to WordPress accounts? I mean, Kate, can you imagine people that are out there that are big tumbleheads, whatever they're called, tumblog. Tumbleheads. I looked all morning. There is not a word for these people. I searched yeah. for one. Tumblr folks. How about that? I don't know anyone that's still using Tumblr, do you? Taylor Swift. Ta- but there was another great tweet that was like, why didn't Taylor Swift buy it if it was $3 million, which of course she could have. She does use it religiously to, to communicate. Do you know this? No, you're blowing my mind. She uses it. She tracks what's being said about her and she responds to her fans on Tumblr all the time and if you get a response from her if you're a, like a Swifty a Swift Taylor Swift fan yeah. it's a really big deal when she had her big anti-scooter brawn thing whatever a month ago it was that was Tumblr that's where it, which to be honest was the first time I had looked at Tumblr in years I, I, yeah, I never looked at fan. it I just didn't know that I was supposed to be on Tumblr this whole time I wonder how many employees Tumblr has uh, about 200 and, and to be honest okay, with you, well. when we talk about that $3 million price from WordPress or Automatic's point of view there, it's really like a $50 million price not that they're paying to Verizon to buy it but that's the ongoing cost of the gotcha. thing that's $50 million a year to, for staff costs and, I presume, hosting costs are in that as well? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to put a big hole in Automatic's uh, bottom line because I presume that Tumblr isn't making titanic amounts of revenue 200 right now. employees. Yeah, it's it's not making much money. Obviously, Automatic believes it can turn it, not turn Tumblr around the way we think of Tumblr, but I has to assume that there are synergies that is going to you know put that in the black. They think they can finally do it right. There was a great piece on TechCrunch from Devin Coldway that was talking about how, I mean, Yahoo never did anything with Tumblr aside from, like, possibly expanding some portion of their ad revenue, if, if that. So I think the hope is that a company that actually understands what Tumblr is capable of may be able to figure out the business model a bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's go back in time a little bit. So mm-hmm. Yahoo under the, the era of Marissa Mayer, yep. which was in a sense a, a short-term rebirth of optimism at Big Purple. Uh, they bought it for a billion and point one and didn't do much with it, never saw much. And then Yahoo was sold for a song to... 
I mean, I mean, Yahoo, it's a, it's I like a sad corporate it. history. How do you say it? <laughs> Yahoo. Uh, yeah, I'm with Kate on this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. Yahoo. Yeah, you maybe are. it's your East Coast accent. No, I'm from the, I'm from Oregon. Okay, it's so, an Oregon <laughs> accent. Pacific <laughs> Northwest ya- accent. Yahoo. No, because I'm from the Pacific Northwest too, so I don't know what you're doing. I mean, I could just be saying it wrong. I yeah, mean, like, I think it's I'm not saying that okay, I'm correct. The problem is in my head, I'm hearing the old ads, which are kind of like a yodeler. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. But that's where that's actually what I'm hearing. yodeling is allowed on Equity. You can yodel if you like. Not a chance. Okay. Um, they sold it for 1.1 billion dollars, mm-hmm. and then later on, Yahoo was sold. Uh, what was the total Yahoo price? It, it, there was debt. I, I want to say it was ten billion, but I know that's wrong. That's high. It was cheaper than that. I, I wow. had two point eight in my head, which is also okay, then, wrong. Yeah, it, a it, lot of money. It was it was sold for a bunch of money, but but nothing compared to what Yahoo was. And remember, Yahoo when it was alone, it had this you know it had the Japan business and had some other things that got spun off of it. It had a, the big stake in Alibaba. They right. had to put into a into Spinco and yep. get rid of that and all that. And then it, it winds up. The short story is it winds up as part of Verizon Media, which is what Oath used to be. Yeah, merged with AOL essentially. Yep. Four point eight. so we were going to split the difference Um, and now it is being sold for for a nickel and this reminded some people of the Bebo sale when AOL bought Bebo for about a billion give or take and sold it for about 10 million give or take so we've seen this sort of value destruction a couple times now Um, before we move on I mean is this just people not understanding that they can't make certain products monetize better? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. You know, to me, I, I remember, you know, within 12 months of that deal of, of the Yahoo buying Tumblr was Facebook buying Instagram. And they, to me, they're kind of this, felt the same at the time, right? About a billion dollars, social media property, and and the same idea, right? Big, smart tech company is going to take you money losing company, and we're going to leverage all your data to do something better with it. And Facebook pulled that off. Now, you can argue one of two things. Either Yahoo was wrong, that Tumblr didn't really have the same sort of data Instagram had, or you could argue Yahoo didn't know what to do with it. And maybe in theory, had Zuckerberg bought Tumblr, you know, Tumblr today would be this massive behemoth that Instagram is. No, I wouldn't. I mean, I I don't know. I I can't see that. I mean, Facebook isn't big on porn. And yeah, that, but Tumblr's not now either. Well, now Tumblr's yeah. not about anything now except for apparently Taylor Swift fans. Yeah, but I mean, I didn't, I did not it. realize how important adult content was to the Tumblr world until it was banned, and then everyone lost their collective minds. I'm not sure that was true though at the beginning, not even the beginning, even when Yahoo. Now, I admittedly wasn't a big enough Tumblr fan. I think porn became a bigger part of Tumblr when you know innovation at Tumblr kind of stopped, uh, and it, it yeah. was it kind of became a refuge, kind of like I think you know porn became a big thing on other social media platforms or other kind of old blog platforms over time, even like Google. Google's old blog platform. Well, I mean, short, short stories, if they can convert a lot of Tumblr users to WordPress users and drive a lot more adoption of their paid products, it could go well. It's a lot of cost to make up. It's bold. It's risky. I like it. And uh, I'm glad that Tumblr's not going to be shut down like Google+. Plus. Well, just one last fun fact before we move on. So TechCrunch is obviously owned by the same people that were Yahoo or Yahoo. And so we sit right <laughs> next We sit right next to the Tumblr team that patrols for hate speech, which is kind of a – have you walked by them before? I, I've been to the new TC office. Yeah, the new TC office. Do they all work. look like they have PTSD? That's a terrible job. Yeah, it's it's awful. And the, their screens are set up in such a way so that if you walk by, you're not able to see what's on their screens. It's And there's only ever a few people there. That's why I was surprised to hear that they have 200 employees. So they're clearly not all in the same offices as, as you know us in TechCrunch. Gosh. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just sad. Yeah. Let's move on to something a bit more in our wheelhouse. We just couldn't not touch on that because it's the most interesting thing that's happened in the last week. Um, but the biggest news that was supposed to happen before this show that we were so excited about, we could not wait to get to, was the WeWork S1. And we don't have- Where it. are you, WeWork S1? So Waiting for you. We all expected it to come out before this taping. Uh, we're in the dark. 
this is coming out Friday morning. So by the time you hear this, you will know so much about it. It'll be out. Yeah, we're yeah. expecting it tomorrow now. Is that what you think? I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. after Mark today. I, I first heard after Mark yesterday. If it's not out, by the way, if you're listening to this and it's not out by Friday, then there's a problem, like a really big problem. Yeah. Um, but I thought it'd be fun to to lay bets, if you will. Oh, uh, we're so bad at that. I know, but it's so much fun to get things wrong. Um, so we all know how they did in Q1. Revenue was up about 100%. They lost about 250, 280 million on a net basis. I'm curious if we think they'll have a similar growth rate in Q2, and if they will show any uh, improvement on a net basis. Dan, I think the numbers will look similar in terms of the rates. That's my guess. I don't get the sense that I, I don't get the sense that they care that much about flipping them, which I think is one of the reasons they're raising all this debt. Right? They're, they're saying to potential shareholders, "Yeah, we're in the red, deep, deep in the red. Don't worry about it. We can get a long way." The only thing I wonder if it changes is what's happened with Uber and Lyft, right? Where they got their asses kicked so bad by the public markets that Adam Newman and, and Artie Minson, as the CFO over there, might look a little bit and say, "We need to do something." And you saw that with Uber and Lyft in their most recent quarterlies. They were trying so hard to explain how they're going to flip into profitability. Yeah. at some point. And a friend of the show uh, sent me a DM yesterday about WeWork saying that at the WeWork that this person works at, there has been a, a big change in perks. Like the cold brew and beer have been cut back dramatically very recently. So I'm presuming we're seeing uh, the beginning of, of belt tightening. And if you work for a company, for example, and the snacks begin to get dramatically worse. They always start with the snacks. There's a great post on TechCrunch about this that Ryan Lawley wrote like 10 years ago about how like all of a sudden TC snacks got crappy because it was a bad sign. And it was. So, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, ultimately, WeWork will go public, and it's it's going to be – it's probably the most polarizing startup that exists in the sense of – and somebody even close to WeWork told me, you know, a year ago about the prospect of an IPO. There's kind of an expectation even internally. They'll become the second most shorted stock on Wall Street after Tesla uh, just because there is, a you know, a huge amount of disbelief or skepticism towards their model. You know, leave aside what their quarterly numbers are, that there's just a belief the model is not sustainable long term. And then there are people who love them and think it is, and, and so that's... I mean, we still all disagree whether it's a tech company or a real estate company, as simple as that. So Absolutely. people can't even come to an agreement well, with Well, I think it's a real estate company trying to become a tech company. I mean, they it's keep buying real software company. companies, trying to build yeah. a vertical stack for... They're try- well, they're trying to build services on top, right? Yeah. That, you know, yeah. It's higher margin stuff, and therefore it's worth more on multiple bases. So why not slather yourself in you know software income, talk that up as a growth business in your S1, try to convince investors otherwise, and... Try to dodge the real they might have even said real estate as a service. I'm not sure they've said that, but that's basically what they want to be. So we're expecting the WeWork S1 as soon as today, um, and we're expecting the Postmates IPO filing in the next in September. So in September. we bought you, two. You broke that last night. Yeah, so we're expecting that um, next month IPO by the end of Q3, and. That's two huge IPOs that will make great fodder for this podcast. So I bet you're very excited. I, I'm stoked. I mean, I love an S1 because it's the best thing in the world. But I mean, talk about different. Do you think scale. S1s are the best thing in the world? Oh, well, uh, no, no. Do you think not. SaaS companies are the best thing in the world? You see, I had listened to last week's podcast. I was driving oh. over here. So I know. So, so no. And you, you compared them like strawberries and cake or something. Yeah. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Postmates. I mean, you're, you're fired from the show, by the I way. You, I'm, I will say this. I am more skeptical of Postmates S1 than WeWork's S1. And so. why is that? I don't understand what Postmates is. Uh, like, I mean, I know what they do. Right, uh, right, and right. Great, they're going to have robots. But like, when you look at the competition <laughs> there, if you want to, it's not like they have figured out how to be profitable. Like, even you could argue Grubhub is. At, you know, all these companies with Uber Eats are fighting for the same thing, and then you have DoorDash, which just seems to have Brinks trucks rolling up to it from SoftBank every other day. I don't see where Postmates goes in this. I, I think Postmates told people originally, you know, they leaked, I think, that they filed confidentially. That was a, please buy us, somebody buy us sign, and right. nobody has. No, that's the thing. I, I think that they desperately wanted to have an AM, M&A exit. I don't know. You know I mean, I don't know the, what's gone wrong, why they haven't been able to close that. I mean, we can see that Caviar went to DoorDash. I'm, you know, it's DoorDash 
there was probably talks. I don't know what went wrong, but I think at this point it could lead to a disastrous IPO when you know a company doesn't even really want it to go that direction and well, now they're kind of stuck. Yeah, they, well, Postmates CEO Bastian, uh, who I think we all know, he said um, at, was it Fortune or Forbes? It was some event recently that, you know, his argument against this speculation was that when you do prepare to go public, it does open up the dual track. People do look at you more. You have gotten your uh, accounting to a place in which you could go public. You're easier to buy. You're less of a mess, less of a startup. Um, I, I see some truth in that. I mean, Differentiating Postmates from other on-demand startups is hard for me because I only ever order food. So I don't see the difference in product offering that Postmates claims to have, which is bringing more stuff to your house than just restaurants. Um, I just don't know how the margins yeah, who are. Who is using Postmates to order anything beyond food? Apparently everyone in LA. Really? To my Twitter feed. I, I live in a small town. We have no Postmates. Right. We have no DoorDash. We have no Uber Eats. So we have so, no restaurants. So what you, would they bring us? You cook like, all the time then. What? You cook all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning how to do that. It's fun. It's exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah a lot of a lot of apartments and houses come with a whole setup to do that. Yeah. yeah, mine has this bit in the middle that makes fire and one bit that makes cold, so I can actually do the whole thing in one place. Yeah, it's fantastic. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Um, let's move on to uh, a shorty about Ramp. So people who have heard the show before know we talk about Brex on a regular basis, and then amazingly We talk enough, about Brex so much. All right, I apologize. No, it's doing I, it things. just comes up on its own. I don't know. Brexit it wormed its way into the consciousness of the startup world with almost record time, record pace. Right. And there's a new company coming out called Ramp Financial that just raised a $7 million round, I believe, at a $25 million pre. And they're in stealth, and they're going to be doing, quote, the same thing as Brex. Yeah, quote, the exact same thing. So this is... Competition. Competition. Yeah, I mean, it's only natural, right? I mean, given the success that Brexit had and so much hype around it, of course, there's going to be competitors. I don't know a ton about what exactly they plan to do. I think they're very, very, very early. But they've raised $7 million from Keith Raboy, Adam Rothenberg, Via Box Group, and Co2. So, you know, I think we'll probably hear a lot more from them soon. Yeah, and Brex is everywhere. I mean, we were talking before the show that in Boston on South Station, which is like the big train station in Boston, Brex, and maybe they still do, had a huge billboard on it, which was weird and arguably a huge waste of money because how many people going through the train station, normal people need a startup credit card. But yeah, I, th- but that's, yeah. obviously there's a considered by VCs to be a lot of money in I this business. I thought that was just a, a San Francisco thing. They have no, bo- a Boston? No, it's here. Boston, oh. they spent a fortune on marketing here. And again, marketing, it... There was years ago when uh, Gillette Stadium, where the Patriots now play, when it was Boo. being you see Sorry. when it was being built, uh, it was going to be called CMGI Stadium, which was an like an enterprise internet company. And at the time, you said, "Why most people walking in can't buy CMGI? They can buy a Gillette Razor. They can't buy a CMGI thing." Same idea. Why? Weird. Weird. It's kind of like VCs gave us so much, we got to get it out the door. They just want every you know every founder and every hub to have their name on their lips. So I think that's probably the goal there. I mean, I think that's how it comes up in conversation so much in the city. It's like. Every meeting you have with a VC and SF, it's like, it's mentioned. It's just, it's on everyone's mind. And I think the marketing, despite being very obnoxious, has something to do with that. Well, if you take every single bus stop in a city and you put your name and logo on them, people will have higher levels of name recognition. It I, does I, work. I, to be honest, I'm surprised they haven't partnered with their VC firms yet and officially partnered. Like you think about um, on the private equity side of the things, uh, you know, Blackstone and KKR, these huge, do these big group purchasing projects for all their portfolio companies. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees. I'm surprised there haven't been VCs who've gotten special Brex deals and have, have truly partnered with them for their portfolio companies, it could be a differentiator for both sides. Yeah, well, that brings us back to Ramp, which is what can they do that's possibly different than what Brex is doing? Brex has tons more money, a huge advantage in timing. They've been out right. longer. They have brand recognition. They have name recognition. We're but they still got that so fast, them. though. I mean, I think there's still opportunity here. And 
there was once a time when Brex was still a VR startup going through YC. Like at least, and, and these guys behind Ramp Financial, um, they, they previously built and sold a company, so they maybe they have experience on their side. I mean, the Brex founders are both 23. You know, they started the company, I think, probably, I guess, at like 21. So they, they didn't have that advantage. But they have a lot of institutional money and support behind them. And that's not to be dismissed. Right. I think I think what Ramp will have is they're going to have New York on their side. It's a New York company. they got New York VCs. SF or uh, Brex is more, you know, Bay Area. So perhaps they'll target, it'll be more of like a, geographical war between the two I mean I don't, I don't I mean, know that would be exciting I and mean, we haven't had a good New York SF beef in, in some time I mean the Knicks are terrible so we can't really have a basketball problem so are you are you a uh, basketball fan Dan? I am a basketball fan yeah Which, Boston uh, Celtics oh I'm sorry I'm local I, you shouldn't be sorry we're, you we're, we're, <laughs> our, player, our players aren't all injured Oh, gosh. Can't participate in this that conversation at all. All right. I'm, I'm new to being an NBA fan, so I, I can only talk a little bit of smack. All right. But let's. Uh, well, you're like everybody else in the Bay Area, so congrats. <laughs> um, I'm actually new to sports in general as, as a fan. So everything all at once N- NFL, NBA, soccer, all sorts of things. So I am a new fan, but it's not because of my geographic location, you jerk. <laughs> uh, let's move it on. Kate, okay, what we got smart next? news. So this company, don't know if you've heard of it, it's an app for. And aggregating news. They raised a $28 million round that valued them at $1.1 billion. So companies from Japan, so I think it was all Japanese investors, they they have 20 million, they say, uh, monthly active users in the US and Japan and claim to be growing at a rate of 500% per year. This is not a company that I was particularly familiar with, but I, I was working weekend duty that week uh, that weekend when this news came out, so I wrote about it. I don't know, Alex, have you used this app before? Yeah, actually, uh, Little Crunchbase News just launched on Smart News about oh, okay. two weeks ago. So we were kind of excited about that because we heard about how fast it was growing. But have you tried it? I have tried it. It's on my okay. phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I like was, it? Um, it does not meet my personal needs. I've been told it's it it pushes to the top, which isn't surprising. Uh, mostly entertainment news. So like, it, if you if you're seeking out, you know, to be truly informed about politics and and you know tech, it's not great for that. I mean, but we're just weird people. Like the three of us are just weird news consumers. I can't even be an hour behind the news cycle. But if I'm a smart news consumer, I probably want to check in three times a week and figure out what's going on in the world. I mean, and, and I have up. seen I've seen it, and I should have before this really looked. I've seen it in our analytics every now and then. It's, ne- it's never you know the top, but it's in there yeah. sometimes. And we're not doing any entertainment. It actually news. brings in a lot of our traffic. I um I didn't know that either until I wrote this up. One of my coworkers was like, "Oh, did you know that that's one of our main you know." That brings in a ton of people, and I was like, "Really?" I, because I had never even heard of it until, you know, of course, of course, until they became a unicorn, and then, you know, it's on our radar. But. Well, I mean, we would see these occasional enormous spikes in smart news, and I would just be confused by them. And then now that we're on there, we see a much more kind of steady inflow of traffic, which is nice as a publisher. Um, but like, I think when a, a, a media source flexes its muscles like that and shows up in your analytics, everyone at the publication goes, "What's this?" Like Flipboard will do that sometimes, yeah. and everyone goes, "Oh my gosh, we should get more on Flipboard," you know? Yeah, Flipboard's another one too. It's kind of a surprise there when it when it shows up in our. The but the reason why I wanted to bring up this particular deal is how much money they're paying. Kate, you said they have 20 million uh, MAUs, give or take, mm-hmm. and they're worth um, $1,100 million. So that's about $55 per MAU, which to me, um, and I say this with a lot of uh, politeness to the, the world of companies out there, it feels a bit 2000-ish. It feels like a lot of money for eyeballs. And Dan, you're... You have the most experience going back towards that era. Does this <laughs> you're saying I'm old. I got it. No, I'm saying you're the, <laughs> old, nice the, the, old, the oldest, if you will, um, most seasoned. Uh, does this <laughs> feel roughly like some deals we used to see back in the uh, more bubbly era? Well, yeah, ex- except you know, minus the billion dollars, right? There, there were there were no billion dollar valuations for startups. I mean, none, zero. Uh, that that is a new thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, I think what the argument is is you know, every time there is a media VC backed media startup, and Axios is included in this. I mean, what's the thing that costs us the most money? Writers, right? Creating the news. If you can get the same eyeballs and not actually have to create 
create the news, which is what news aggregation platforms are, that's always been their argument, then that's great. The problem with them is, is there's not necessarily much loyalty to them, right? Because what people really want is the best news. And if somebody else is able to, you know, have a better algorithm or partner with a better publications, then then they they take that from you. So quickly. original content is what wins. Ori- I, well, original content, I think, matters. But I, I'm simply saying, like, aggregators don't have to pay for it. But I, th- I think yeah. people are a lot less loyal to their aggregator long term right. than they're going to be to you know a particular writer, a particular news source. Well, you, when you went over to Axios, you brought a chunk of your then term sheet audience over to kind of seed Perel. Yeah. And, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, not not literally. You know, Fortune owned my old list, just like Politico owned Mike Allen's old list right. uh, when he did Playbook. But yeah, I mean, people, particularly for some reason, email newsletters that come from individuals, there is a reader loyalty to that. And they will, if, if they like it, they'll follow you. Um, I hate to use the term brand, but that, that exists in this. Right. I mean, I, I took over the, the TechCrunch Startups Weekly Newsletter recently, and it's just like once a week. And it's basically just like, here's some stuff that happened. And ever since a real person took it over, as opposed to like, I don't know how they were doing it, uh, yeah. it's the open rate has taken off. Absolutely. It's the reason why an Axios newsletters, all of them, they they come, you know, they don't come from Axios at newsletters or whatever. They come from real person. And we literally are writing them. And it means that, you know, when you read one of our newsletters, whether it's me or Mike or somebody else or Ina Freed, when you hit reply, that goes straight into our inbox. That doesn't go into some, you know, generic... Axios What's been the biggest difference from going from like an institutional media organization to a startup? Uh, One was firing everybody and one's hiring people. I mean, (laughs) seriously, like that's the that's the real one, right? Dying company, which was Time Inc., uh, which has since been broken up to to Axios, which is a startup and all the cliches growing, all the cliches about being able to be more experimental, you know, start fast, you know, just be able to get things done um, and a group of people truly, you know, podcast is called equity. I mean, everybody owns a little piece and, and, and not that, you know, people can't pay their mortgage with stock options, but that matters. Uh, you know, no one for the most part was getting timing stock and God forbid if you did, cause it didn't do very well. So I, yeah, it, it's a startup and, and people can try things, be more experimental. And, and I, you know, we're getting more institutionalized, but it, it's fun. Is Axios going to get acquired? Someday, maybe hopefully someday, but we're not, you know, we're not in market. Yeah. Interesting. They're not dual tracking right now. He's not We're gonna, not dual you're track. not going to tell us right now I mean, that you've got a big deal if to announce. If the S one drops on Friday morning, you know, you'll see it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm kind of rooting for that as a not like S one. I am too because it would really shock the hell out of me. That would be amazing if an S one drops and I read it in the SEC and nobody stole me. That would be exciting. Yeah, that would be a big. That shocker. would be a no, big uh, shock. I mean, in general, I'm rooting for Axios to do well because yeah. I think it is the media company's startup, if you will, that hasn't had to rely on a either a hard paywall or a go mass and then run advertising game. You found some some middle lane between the two. And I know you have more stuff coming as a publication. I'm sure it's gonna be exciting to see. But I mean, you guys have done well with stuff that I now read all the time. And as an active consumer, I'm just honestly hoping you and everyone over there well. The, the way uh, the way some of our founder, one of our founders, Roy Schwartz, who's kind of the business guy of our three coach founders describes it as, is that every media startup has a number, a revenue number that they kind of, a wall that they hit, a plateau. And, and, and the, those numbers vary, whether, you know, your mic and it's lower, your BuzzFeed and it's high. And then there's this question of, do you have a, a, a theory on how you're going to jump that wall? We haven't hit that wall yet, but we know we will. And I'm not going to describe it here, but we have a theory for how we'll jump that wall and we'll either be successful or not. But I think when you do a media startup, you can't just believe, oh, if we launch like this, it's always going to be up and to the right. At some point, that's going to just stop. The growth is going to stop and you need to come up with a new thing, which is going to get you past that and get you bigger. Please. Has there been, aside from Axios in the last few years, has there been a media startup that has really had that kind of growth and has become sort of a household name, if you will? 
Not that I can yeah, I'm trying think, to think of. of one. No, I mean, we kind of came, you know, the generation before us, which was kind of the Vice, BuzzFeed, Vox generation. That There was a lot then. No, there haven't been many. And, and maybe it's because some of those companies, I hate saying they struggled because they haven't. You know, BuzzFeed doesn't hit their ridiculous revenue numbers. Suddenly it's a, if we had half a billion dollars in revenue, we'd be thrilled. Um, so we It's don't. a good place to be. Uh, it's a great place to be. Uh, so, But no, there haven't been many. No, I mean, some niche ones in individual sectors. I mean, you could argue something like The Athletic. Right. And the athletic is an awesome one. And again, like you said, you're supportive of you want access to succeed. Of course, we want the media companies to succeed. I mean, we all work in media. So I think for me, I want to see these innovative models gain success. And the athletic is one. I mean, they just announced, what was it? I think we talked about this. 500,000 paying readers. Yeah, yeah. Which That's is spectacular. Enormous. Half a million people that pay every month. That is spectacular. And the, yeah, and they have they have enormous, enormous newsroom at this point, too. I mean, this is why I pay five bucks a month to Medium. I don't actually read much stuff from Medium, but I want to support their their go of it. I mean, they're hiring a bunch of writers. Pay for journalism. Like. Yes. Except for equity, which is free. <laughs> Access is free, too. But if you would like my address, you can just send me checks. I would like, I'll accept them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, or money orders. Oh, yeah. You, you guys are going to have to have a paywall soon, I'm sure. The newsletters are going to be I don't think so. Really? Uh, not, not newsletters. I mean, not not you know not what Mike's doing, what I'm doing. I mean, maybe someday in the future. I, there's been a lot of talk, and that's partially our fault from stuff we said at the beginning. You know, I said to Alex before the show, there was all this talk that we were going to have this really high-priced subscription product, and maybe right. someday we will. I, I can tell you legitimately it's not something we ever developed and are not currently developing. Do you have another newsletter that you charge for? No. Oh, okay. No, so we don't. So Mike, Mike Isaac does, and that's what you're uh, my, so I was talking about Mike Allen. Uh, at oh, Axios. Okay. I apologize. I, like, no, right now, Axios AM, Axios Prorata, Axios Login, all free and no plans in any near term I'm, or even long term to change I'm that. I'm thinking about all these journalists who've recently sort of set up their own um, platform on Substack, which is why I thought of Mike Isaac. Um, Does Mike Isaac have a paid newsletter? No, his is free, but I think yeah. I think his plan, I, I mean, I don't know. Mike, what's it's your plan? Are you yeah. in charge? Are you listening? Tell us. Yeah. No, I think maybe eventually he may charge for it. I, I think that's what a lot of journalists are doing. It's like they're sort of putting feelers out, building an audience, and they're going to slap on a paywall. I, I mean, think maybe. everyone's afraid of eventually becoming redundant other publication and having to fend for themselves. I think Substack's mission, they keep stamping their foot about this, is if you can get 1,000 people to pay you, you can be independent. And be everyone, Well, boss. everyone looks at Ben Thompson living happily in Singapore making a lot of money. I, I would say for me, I mean, I could have, you know, I could theoretically do that and probably make maybe make more money than I currently make. The thing about it is, is just journalists, and you guys maybe appreciate this, having a newsroom or people, colleagues you work with, like there's there's value to that. There is stuff that everybody you work with has different expertise, has different experience, has different sources. And so long as you're in a newsroom that is open and sharing of those things and not you know really, really provincial about it, I think it makes the journalism better. I wouldn't want to do this on my own. I know that. I can't copy it very well. So I can't do it on my own. I, I, I literally have never tried to even, I've never even been freelance. I mean, frankly. it's hard to do all of it. Like if you're if you're you know doing all the research reporting writing obviously we do that but like then to also add on all the editing like you would do if you're just a standalone party and, and that would all, be really hard all the work that goes to make the tech work like I have a, a much better understanding of this now than I ever wanted oh, to have oh I know yeah and I stuff, do stuff the just breaks there's there's an entropy to your online set your your CMS it will just slowly degrade over time and then shatter. So you have to be on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you what you guys use. I mean, we built our own, but I mean, we have a big team of engineers. I mean, there's a lot of them. We are on WordPress. TC's on WordPress. Yeah, we're so. on WordPress. Uh, yeah, we're on our own. So well, fancy. we have a Very small fancy. team of engineers. <laughs> uh, my managing editor is the Crunchbase News uh, WordPress engineer. So that is uh, how many people are are at Axios now? Uh, as of last check, about 160. So big. That, I bet that would surprise people that, that it's much larger. Than it tech surprises range. us. It surprises us. We weren't supposed to be this big, and uh, things just kind of went better than expected. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of kept hiring, uh, and and kind of I, I put it this way: it's not that many jobs that we didn't expect to hire for eventually. We just hired them earlier Quicker. than we expected. To. How many of those people are writers and editors? I'm making. Ish. I am making this up now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ballpark at about fifty. 
total. That's more than TechCrunch. That's so just great. 50 wow. on the on edit the, side. On the edit side. 110 on the tech that's and awesome. business side. Yeah. Yeah, that feels about right. Yep. Yeah. But it just goes to show how much work there is that's not just writing. Yeah, tech, publishing. business, events. Yeah. Oh, events, yeah. of course. Sure. Yeah. I mean, TC's events team is fantastic, but also quite large. And large, yeah, exactly. So I, I do, I mean, I think we are similar in size, but I think you guys have definitely overtaken us. And I, I will say out. one thing about us, just from a startup perspective, is the the theory that Jim Vandehire, CEO, had was when we started was that a lot of media startups get launched by journalists who are really good at journalism, right? They know how to do news and they have absolutely no freaking idea how to do the business side and to build a company. So his theory was, let's hire some people, kind of C-suite sorts of people that at, in the early days really had very little to do, but we would rather have them in place when we grew to a size where we needed them. Yeah. And so far, so good. Let's move on to things that have not gone well so far. Can we just do a paragraph from the uh, Rothenberg VC fiasco story? Should we give people a reminder of what happened here? I think. Uh, well, he's a crook. He's a crook. Um, yeah, why don't you give a quick overview? Okay, so. Uh, so we haven't talked about it before on the podcast, which is kind of weird that we never talked about we, it. We may have a couple of years ago, but it's been a long time. So the short version is um, not everyone who claims to have as much money as they do actually does. Uh, it's a good lesson to learn early in life. One of them, uh, one person who kind of helped teach me this was Rothenberg, Rothenberg VC, which was a hot firm in the, I don't know, the Silicon Valley scene, for lack of a better term. Um, popular in the VR space, writing a lot of text to people, making a lot of noise, had a lot of big events. Uh, they had a yearly event at the giant stadium in uh, San Francisco. And uh, I actually went to one of these. I got to swing a, swing a bat uh, at home plate and miss many, many embarrassing pitches in front of people I didn't know. And it turns out that a lot of that money that was being spent wasn't theirs to spend. They got into a lot of trouble with the SEC for fraud, for misappropriating funds, for taking fees, quote, quote, that were way above what they were supposed to do. And um, it all came crashing down. Now it feels like VC ancient history, but this was really for a moment the biggest thing that was going around in our world. I mean, it was you're, you've been covering the the Abrage thing, yeah. the scandal over there. But this is like sure. the Silicon Valley equivalent for for yeah, it is. And I mean, a couple of things about it. limited partners who are the you know the folks and in, in institutions who invest in venture capital funds, you know, who do get charge fees. Generally speaking, even some of the most sophisticated ones do a terrible job paying attention to where money is going and also don't have a hell of a lot of transparency into it. You know, you get a you get asked for a two million dollar check, you give the two million dollar check because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and Rothenberg, I mean, he he was a fraud. And there have been other frauds in VC. I mean, you know, the Oak Investment Partners had a had a partner who defrauded his other partners. He did something similar. He basically said, you know, you know, you get around the table and say, Well, this company we all want to invest in, they need ten million dollars. But they didn't. They needed $2 million. And he took the other $8 million and he put it in a different account and uh, and held on to it until that was ultimately seen. But with Rothenberg, he even tried after the firm started collapsing to do a comeback. I don't know if either of you got the phone call from him or his PR people. You know, oh, Mike's coming back. It was just a misunderstanding. And now, no, it's well, done. It turns out it wasn't. It was theft. It was enormous out, out, amounts theft. of theft. It wasn't a misunderstanding. No. No. Well, the only thing well, he yeah, misunderstood. his investors misunderstood who they invested in. <laughs> and he misunderstood that he could get away with it. It turns out that he couldn't. Right. Um, the paragraph that I wanted to grab uh, is- Can I say about that, though? Oh, I think with VCs, anytime you see VC fraud, the reason he thought he could get away with it, there's always a belief that you're going to invest in something that is going to, you know, you're going to invest in Facebook. So you're going to make so much money that you can paper over the losses. It's a Ponzi scheme in that sense. I'm going to have so much money coming in. Yeah, I stole $10 million from them. No big deal. I'll just put it back in the till when I need to. And in this case, because it was money into a bunch of VR startups and VR never quite took off as expected, that did not didn't happen. Uh, what a yeah, what a terrible thesis to be relying on. Like, well, VR is the future. Like, that's well, that he took a bunch of money from his LPs off. and put it into his own like well, his own uh, VR accelerator, outf- accelerator, or yeah. and then told them 
kind of later on what he had done, and they were mad because they hadn't agreed to that. that oh, wasn't yeah, part they of were their, mad. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe mad's an understatement, but I'm going to read um, a little bit from yes, the, the TC story. And so Deloitte had done some kind of forensic accounting into this fiasco. By the way, forensic accounting, never a phrase you want to hear if your money is involved because it's never a good sign. Um, but TC says, ultimately, Deloitte's examination demonstrated that Rothenberg misappropriated $18.8 million that rightfully belonged to Rothenberg Ventures, $3.8 million of which was transferred to Rothenberg personally, $8.8 million of which was used to fund other entities under his control, including, quote, a car racing team and a virtual reality studio, and $5.7 million of which was used to pay the firm's expenses over and above the management and administrative fees it was entitled to per its management agreements. I mean, that's a triple threat right there. I mean, that's just impressive. He hit. He hit every. He hit every target. Perfect. I mean, <laughs> um, but I, I think there's a, there's a keeping up with the Joneses uh, element to Silicon Valley, and everyone wants to pretend to be a bit more established and wealthy and uh, connected than they are. And uh, let this be a warning that uh, yep. seed stage funds probably shouldn't be renting out the giant stadium and inviting everyone that they know to go out there and swing a bat. So, I mean, if I get invited, it's it's a wide net. Uh, shall we wrap up with a little riff on the Vision Fund 2, everybody? Because I think Why it's going to be big in our world for the foreseeable future. For the next many years. So, Or the way they invest, two years, maybe 18 months. <laughs> well, then Vision Fund 3. Fair enough. It's a good place to start. I didn't yeah. think there was going to be a VF2. I thought that there was no way they were going to be able to pull us off. Why didn't you think there was going to be one? Because I didn't think they were going to be able to show enough non-paper, so actual returns, to generate enough interest to drive a fund large enough to call it a vision fund. And I was flat wrong. We just still don't know on the returns. I mean, we really don't. Remember, they, they rolled the arm into the first fund, uh, which, which was going to be a winner from day one. So you kind of knew that. Uber, it just continues to be a bigger and bigger loss for them. And that's their single biggest investment. And then most of the rest of its paper, they had some good things. Look, you know, they, they had some good things in there. But there is this question to me with them is there was a lot of low-hanging fruit when they were, you know, WeWork, Uber, just places that could take huge checks. I don't know exactly what that next generation is. And and if it's what you hear, which is that they want to go deeper into AI and biotech, which there are companies, no one can really explain that the Vision Fund, to me at least, that the Vision Fund model for that, which is spend a ton of money and therefore buy market share, works in those industries. Yeah, I mean, they've tried to write big checks into companies that didn't quite fit with WAG and Brandless and so forth, and those have been middling. We've all been hearing a lot from Brandless and WAG, like, you know, it's not going well over there. But I th- obviously, at some point, we're going to see that these companies are either just going to shutter entirely, and then people will have a better idea of some of these investments. And even WeWork, like that IPO, SoftBank has billions in WeWork. Yeah, so it better go well for them. I mean, they maybe maybe they want to raise the VF, VF2 before WeWork goes public, because that might scuttle their chance of doing it otherwise. Um, did you guys see the uh, the SoftBank earnings that went through the uh, the paper um, markups from like DoorDash, et cetera, that made it look like it had a lot of positive operating income? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, DoorDash went from like 1.6 to 12.6 billion in a year and they had a bunch of money in that. So they look really smart. If you take that out. And by the way, they don't even look smart. That's because they revalued it. It's kind of like me saying, I bought my house for $100,000 and then I sold it to myself for a million. Look how brilliant I am. It's now a million dollar home. <laughs> no, it's. Eh, but you yeah. paid it. It's worse than that. It's like, there's a house over there. I bought the front door. Now the house is worth a million dollars. Now I bought two bolts off the off the back door for an even higher price and the house is worth $12.6 billion. I mean, they're not buying large chunks of this company. No. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm skeptical. There's also been some reporting that they may not have the whole hundred and eight. There's some there's chicanery. It's not chicanery. That. I mean, they 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 wanted to get that announcement out. The that they had this hundred and eight and MOUs. They're literally a memorandum of understanding. Everyone I've talked to who has signed one of those says the the intention is to do it. But no one quite knows what SoftBank is going to take because uh, Saudi Arabia and UAE or Abu Dhabi is not in that. Yeah. 
it's questionable. I've heard that they those two combined have talked about investing you know 50 to 60 billion. There's this question, therefore, is Vision Fund 2 really 150 million, or does SoftBank in the end just take 100 and everyone gets cut back? We'll see. I, I, my guess is it ends up at around the same size as number one. And then SoftBank can cut its own commitment. So you said more biotech was the other, oh, and AI. And AI, that's what you hear. So will do you guys think that second time around they'll have a little bit more of an actual thesis with their investing? Because I mean, it, got, it seemed like they kind of just went all over. Did they, like, I thought they were, they looked at these consumer-facing marketplace businesses, and, and they had a mobility piece too. Remember, when Vision Fund was raised, yeah. transportation wasn't supposed to be there. They had to basically, you know, petition the Saudis to let Uber move into the fund. But, like, it was, we're going to go to companies like DoorDash and WAG and Brandless, and we're going to throw so much, we're going to basically say that money is a differentiator if it if it's about getting market share and we'll worry about profits later. It's kind of WeWork's argument too. So, first time around, a lot of consumer marketplaces, transportation. Second time around, completely different? I, I think they'll continue doing those things. I just don't know that and there add are as many. some more. Yeah, and I, maybe so get even have, more general. You'd have a better sense. I don't know. There's that many of those left that they haven't touched yet, or they haven't right. funded the rivals. And that is the one exception with SoftBank. They are perfectly willing to to fund two companies that are going up against each other. Well, do you think? Sorry, do you think startups have become a little more s- smart when it comes to taking those kind of checks? I mean, we all have seen. So if you take an enormous check at a very early stage, brandless, it can be kind of um, can have really negative consequences. So I wonder if there are more startups who are more privy to that at the same time, what startup really is going to say no? Right. I, I think every startup who hasn't been offered the check yeah. is you know, is able to, to preen up there about how they don't take the check. But I think they all would have as offered to them because why would you not take cash as an advantage? Well, it, yeah. A, why would you not do it? And B, whether SoftBank is explicit or not about this, there is always the, take DoorDash, right? You know, DoorDash doesn't need to take the money, but then they can just give it to Postmates. Then what happens to you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, doesn't um, SoftBank fund a Latin American uh, ride hailing company? They did. Uh, what was it called? Soft. Uh, uh, is it ninety nine? Uh, I think I, or ninety nine. I think they 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 have a piece of basically every ride hail company in the world. Right. And if you dig into right. Uber's uh, Q two earnings and you go to their geographic breakdown of ride hailing revenue, in which part of the world do they shrink year over year? It was Latin America. So you're losing SoftBank money, cannibalize SoftBank investments. And but if you're SoftBank, you don't necessarily, again, if you're SoftBank, you don't necessarily care. What you're betting on if you're SoftBank is the global ride hail market. You're not betting right. on Uber or 99 or Didi. You're just investing in ride hail. And so for SoftBank, so long as ride hail does well, you're okay. Well, that bet's being tested. I think we've all seen Uber and Lyft share price compared to their IPO price. And so I don't know how well that bet works out. I agree with your framing of it entirely. I'm not trying to dispute that. I'm just not sure it's going to be as lucrative as they could hope because they have a lot of people with a lot of money writing on these very large bets. And I'm glad that I'm not holding their end of the ticket. So. And, and they're the ones who bought at the end, right? They, you know, they bought at the biggest prices. Yeah. Uh, we should wrap, Kate. Yeah, I think we should wrap up. Um, so thanks to Dan for coming out. Thanks to Kate for flying across the country and going to New York after this. And thank you to Drift for letting yes. us come hang out. Your coffee is fantastic and your office is lovely and you're all very kind. Thank you. And thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, guys. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week.